Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. You can't protect what you don't know you have. Not only your cloud services and workloads, but more importantly, what your data is and where it's stored. Without visibility into your data inventory, you have a blind spot that can quickly result in costly data breaches and privacy violations. Data stores in the cloud can be spun up and down on demand, making them difficult to track and manage. Nobody wants to be surprised by hidden risks. So listen later in the show to learn how OpenRaven can help you discover, visualize, and track your cloud data assets in real time. Good evening, Jonathan, Peter, and Ryan. How are you doing this week? Good. Good. Hey, Justin. It is uh, week two of reInvent. The announcements keep coming very quickly. Even during the live show recording last week, three announcements dropped. People were asking, we're going to talk about this. It just, it just dropped. Like, no, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> we literally didn't do enough research for that show, yeah. let, me, let alone do the research for something that just dropped during recording as we're all on live, which worked out really well. We posted the YouTube video of our video as well. So you can go watch yourself if you want to. I turned it off. I can't do it. Nope. But it's out there. Which, it's not there. You know, the, <laughs> the, the few minutes I watch, I do notice that I, I don't typically look at the camera, which is because I don't need to look at the camera normally. I'm looking at the show notes or I'm looking at whatever else. And so we're looking at your guys' faces because we use it to uh, people are going to say. But uh, so that was a little interesting. Some details that we might have to work out if we're going to do live streaming in the future. I guarantee we look way better in this episode than the last one. (laughs) 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 Uh, Well, there's been a ton of news. Of course, a lot from reInvent. Today was the ML keynote, which had the the joys of Dr. Matt Wood, as well as the other GMs of the machine learning space. We'll get to that a little later. But first up, Jonathan, two years ago, was very adamant that Slack would be purchased. That was his very first prediction ever on the show. Slightly after we recorded, he said Slack would get bought before they went public. And we all laughed and we scoffed at him and said, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. I don't know what you're saying. Please pass whatever you're on. We, we want to be a <laughs> part of this. But um, two years later, he's been redeemed. And he's been redeemed by Salesforce, who has agreed to buy Slack for $27.7 billion. Mm. That is a huge mm. exit. This uh, many people... Isn't it pretty close to their IPO price? No, it's like double their IPO price. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought their IPO isn't price like, was like eight and a half billion, wasn't it? Was it eight? Mm. Or mm. maybe maybe ten. It was it was a lot, but you know this is a, this is a big premium over their IPO. Well, that's good for them. Yeah, you know, it's great for Slack in many ways, but some people are saying maybe this is because Teams is a bigger threat than they are, they've acknowledged in the past, and that they're not getting the market adoption as they want to. You know, they didn't have the COVID bump that people expected they would have beyond Q two. And so really, at the end of the day, you know, is this really kind of their way of exiting gracefully without becoming kind of a laughingstock of IPOs, unicorn IPOs, which might be another side of it too. And then, you know, of course, Salesforce is the buyer. Salesforce is not known for their communications technology in particular. They had a very large social enterprise play a few years ago called Chatter, which is kind of like that social enterprise where you could go into an opportunity in Salesforce and you could write notes and kind of have the social stream around it. I assume that's going to die now and be replaced by Slack, but Slack is really still an isolated product. It's not integrated into anything like that. So I'd be curious to see what happens with that long-term with Salesforce and what they do with Slack. The acquisition closes here. Hopefully we'll find out later this year. So I am hoping to keep free workspaces because uh, the cloud pod is still out there. <laughs> <laughs> We're chatting with people. Yeah. We've, uh, we've gained some new people this week uh, with reInvent and all of our stuff going on for reInvent marketing. So definitely come join us on the Cloud Pod Slack until it gets killed. Then we'll, I guess, we'll pivot to Discord. I, I, Discord, stand up our own IRC server. Just go back <laughs> in time. IRC, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Join now while supplies last. You thought I was crazy for thinking they were going to acquire two years ago. If I'd said they were going to be acquired for $27.7 billion, <laughs> I'd be hospitalized by now. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, uh, that's an enormous amount of money. Just yeah. goes to show that when enterprises get desperate, they'll pay a lot of money for things. I just I don't understand the Salesforce play. Like it would make sense if it was part of their strategy and something along those lines. But I, I'm sure they have a plan. It's just I can't see it from the outside looking in. Salesforce is one of those companies that everyone knows about, but you don't really know what it does. So, well, I, you know, I it's being kind of the granddaddy of SaaS. <laughs> <laughs> I know what it does too. But you know, it's kind of the granddaddy application of SaaS. One of the things. Uh, a good friend of mine, he tells me all the time, he feels like Salesforce is super legacy at this point, that they, yeah. being, the, being the first to market, being kind of the, what they were, they kind of really got a lot of momentum and they've ridden that momentum for a long time. But fundamentally, the product has not changed much since they originally launched. It's still the same kind of UI paradigms, kind of the same visual style. It hasn't really changed and they bolted on things on top of it and it's gotten a little bit clunky over the years uh, with those bolt-ons. So he thinks that they're ripe for disruption sometime in the next, you know, 10 to 15 years. So that'd be interesting to see too. Mm. I mean, a lot of, a lot of Salesforce integrations are done via email. Though. Like you, you build an email template, which fires when an event happens and you then you have to have something that reads the email. And we know how that works out when the templates change. Thanks. Honestly. <laughs> Again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I mean, imagine the developer sort of circle around Slack and the bots that are being built. Imagine plugging that into something like Salesforce. Now you can, automate deploying things you can automate all kind of messaging and interactions with support staff from salesforce itself without having to have all this this glue in place i think it'd be, mm-hmm. it's gonna be neat it actually has a lot of power it's also gonna be interesting to see what they do from a licensing perspective if you're a salesforce customer do you get a slack team for free do you get access to slack enterprise features as part of your salesforce subscription that's still to be determined but you know that's an interesting way to compete with Microsoft. It really does not have a, do- a predominant play in CRM, and they have dynamics, but it's not. It's definitely not the market leading CRM product by any stretch. I haven't heard that name for like a number of years now. Probably more than ten. <laughs> it's still out there. There's a lot of companies that run on dynamics wow. still to this day. So. Well, moving on to AWS, we teased it last week. We said that we would talk about the Kinesis outage of doom in US East 1 that happened on Wednesday before Thanksgiving during the live show. And so we've had a chance to see the public statements from Amazon. But basically, I believe this is the longest outage that AWS has suffered. Almost 20 hours of downtime starting at 7 a.m. on Wednesday morning and not being actually wrapped up until about 4 a.m. on Thursday of Thanksgiving. So a pretty long issue. This basically came down to uh, they were adding capacity to their Kinesis master fleet. So apparently there's a master set of servers that basically process and coordinate all of the incoming ingestion. They did a small increase of capacity and that small increase of capacity overran their threads of their operating system. So basically every Kinesis master node they needed to talk to wrote on a thread the operating system reaches the end of that thread, you basically you limit if you're familiar with Linux terms, and basically can't execute any more threads, and basically the servers started crashing, causing this massive outage. It took them quite a while to figure this out. It, you know, even in their incident report, they said they thought originally it was memory pressure of some sort, and they actually started looking on that path before they figured out that it was this thread-related issue. This did have a widespread impact to not just Kinesis, it also impacted the status center. They couldn't update it as well as Cognito, which was a big impact for a lot of SaaS applications, as well as CloudWatch metrics, making you not only potentially down, but also blind. Yeah, that was the largest impact to everything that I interact with, largely through CloudWatch, because it it affected all kinds of different things. It was a big deal. It's interesting. I mean, this type of outage, I feel bad for the ops team who had to to support this, but I also think that, you know, these types of outages, 
are unique because they only happen once you get to a very massive scale. So it's interesting to see how they weren't able to discover this right away because it probably failed very silently and they just couldn't see what was going on. So they were just making guesses in the beginning. And each one only happens once. Mm -hmm. How are you going to make sure this doesn't happen again? It's like we put processes in place that it won't happen again, but yeah. well, the next one that happens, we have no idea what it is yet. Oh, and hopefully the logging gets better, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it was interesting too, because they, they had a couple ways to solve this. They could have increased the thread count, the U limits basically on the server, but they wanted to performance test that first, which probably a logically good choice. There's those limits are set for a reason in the operating system and kernel memory space and the kernel access in the user space. Those are all really important things you have to understand. And so I definitely agree with them. It makes sense to peg test that first. But ultimately in the RCA, they kind of said, hey, we're going to reduce the size of the fleet, actually. We're going to go with a larger EC2 instance size that can handle more throughput before we add more nodes. And that way it gives them a different way to scale this. But their traditional way of scaling this horizontally kind of failed them in this particular situation where this type of traffic running on these threads killed them. That's kind of interesting because then that means they've delayed the problem, right, from recurring, but they haven't solved it. Given that it's the middle of December already, their timeline for breaking their pods out in, in, for their other services to give them dedicated clusters for Kinesis is really quite aggressive. I'm quite impressed with how fast they're committing to fix the, the underlying issue. I would think you you take down the entire internet two days before Black Friday. There's a lot of <laughs> a lot of executive pressure on getting that fixed, so that does not happen again. So I'm not surprised to see those very aggressive times. They do have a couple of things that don't wrap up until end of January, but those are a little bit more... You know, complicated. And they, and they talked about bringing some of the, the sharding concepts they have in S3 and other places to some of these services in East. So I think Amazon is kind of going through a transition where they are making these more federated applications, much more fault tolerant in some ways, but these things bite them and it hurts. And it was interesting to see those who had good DR BCP practices, you know, their impact was relatively low, if not at all, versus the companies who are still stuck on Heroku and US East One, who are still single region years later and still down in these type of scenarios. And so, you know, you really start asking the question of, do you invest in multi-region as a strategy and is it worth the cost to your business? And go to this outage and say, hey, we were down potentially for as much as 17, 18 hours of degradation. Was that okay to the business? And if the answer is no, then you have your answer. You should invest in DR in the right way. I think one of the other problems is that when we talk about disasters happening and having to fail out on the region, we always assume that the whole region is going to be down. But in this case, it was very selective. There were some services available, some services not. So if you had an application that uses 10 different services, would you have failed over automatically or would you not? I mean, it's... I think we need to think about failing over services at the at the service level to other regions, not just failing over an entire deployment. Yep. I mean, and that's a different level of complexity, but it is part of cloud native. It's something you have to think through. I think being able to fail a whole application is better than not failing over at all. So at yeah, all. yeah, for sure. <laughs> Either way, even when you can't fail over, it's a reminder of why it's kind of nice to be on the managed cloud provider because when that happened, it wasn't me who had to be up all night figuring that problem out on Thanksgiving. That, that's that's really funny. <laughs> it was Amazon. It's funny you should mention that because we, we chatted in the Slack room about famous outages, you know, in our experience and Thanksgiving is a few years ago is one that we experienced thanks to Lambda and Group 53 and some other things like that. But I feel like I may have cursed them somehow into, <laughs> into suffering and outages themselves <laughs> over Thanksgiving. So <laughs> I'm just yeah, waiting just... now for a trusted advisor for an operating system. You know, a trusted advisor can report on all the, the Amazon limits, and the, the cloud limits for services. Find me one that, that reports on the operating system limits, all the U limits, all the, all the everything. Wouldn't that be great? All the everything. That would be awesome, yeah. 
you know, it's interesting too the just overall venom that's out there on the internet about you know people blaming this. Oh, Amazon was getting ready to launch something for reinvent and took us down right before Thanksgiving. And I, I don't actually think that's the case whatsoever. But a lot of people have that impression that. Amazon has big outages before Thanksgiving because of reInvent. I actually think that it's the opposite problem. I think they're doing a lot of scaling up in preparation for Black Friday, exactly. Cyber Monday, and that is where the capacity issues are coming into play for them, or these weird edge cases like a thread connection thing. They probably added that capacity thinking, oh, that's going to be a 20% capacity buffer we need for Black Friday, not knowing it's going to cause this threading issue at the other end of the day, not because they're releasing some new Kinesis feature for reInvent. I, d- I just don't think that's the case. I think the reInvent features actually get shipped months ago <laughs> and they're just dark sitting there waiting they're in beta alpha testing etc there's no way you'd r- roll out that much change the week before black friday four months I'd- from now all the- <laughs> yeah well and you know a large portion of the announcements are coming in the next year and it's just the announcement it's not necessarily a feature rollout at that time sometimes it is but to me this is definitely a capacity for black friday there's no no doubt but amazon chose themselves to have their conference literally the week after Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and they have done for years, that's a choice they made. And I mean, it looks, it looks, it reflects badly on them to have these problems right before their select flagship presentations. So you're just saying this because you don't want to go to Vegas after Thanksgiving every year, right? Because that's, I agree, <laughs> I don't either, but like a summertime, well, I, I maybe a when, late spring. <laughs> yeah. Didn't it used to be in October? <laughs> like, wasn't it, wasn't it like beginning of November or end of October at one point? I, I vaguely remember that era. That was much better. I like the pre-Thanksgiving reinvent versus the post-Thanksgiving reinvent. Yeah, it's weird not having a normal reinvent this year. There's only one thing that's made me want to go to Vegas, and that's not being in Vegas <laughs> for reinvent. <laughs> every year it's been. Every year it's been. Oh, I hate I going hate to Vegas place. for reinvent. Yeah. But but now I'm yeah, not there. It's just I'm missing the vibe. Yeah. Missing yeah, the camaraderie. It, it, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. it is weird. I think it's at least for the three of us and you know, Peter's there too. And so you know, we, we hang out with Peter a couple nights a week during reInvent too. But I think for the three of us, at least, it's kind of like our our celebration of the year at our day jobs. <laughs> like <laughs> we made it through the year. We got all these projects done. We're going to do reInvent. And then we're going mm-hmm. you know, to dream about all the things we can do in the new year. We head out for Christmas break and we come back and we, we start a new year again. And I think that's maybe what I'm missing. I'm not sure I miss Vegas. <laughs> I think I'm missing that part of it. It's kind of because reInvent was kind of the cap off to the year for us on a day job perspective. You know, to make it feel more normal this year, I did actually go buy some Jimmy Dean sandwiches. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> That's victory. <laughs> to eat during the keynote. <laughs> I mean, if, if, so Ryan, if Ryan is at my house making bacon at three in the morning, I'll be super happy. This can be arranged. I, I will. Uh, yeah. I will take this under advisement, and I will. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, uh, reInvent continues despite outages before reInvent. So during the live stream last week, they announced three new features all around S3. And someone mentioned, "Thing, are you going to mention these new topics?" No, we're not. <laughs> we <don't>, <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to mention those topics during the live recording because I don't know what they are, and I don't have time to read them while I'm trying to run a show. But the first one up was uh, Amazon S3 has strong read after write consistency. One of the key tenets of S3 has always been eventual consistency. And so in a nutshell, after a call to S3 API function, such as a put, that stores or modifies data, there's a small time window where the data has been accepted and durably stored. And that does run into problems when you're using something like a data lake or EMR cluster to write data quickly and then read it back where that data is not consistent, actually getting good data. And so they've actually written tools, EMRFS for consistent view for EMR, and S3 Guard for Hadoop are really common, very popular tools 
to help you make sure that you have a consistent S3 picture. But now you can throw all those tools away because Amazon is now 100% strongly consistent, meaning when you do a get, a put, or a list operation, as well as the operations that change object tags, ACLs, or the metadata, they are all strongly consistent as soon as you write them. So now you don't have to worry about that ever again, which is really a fantastic technical feat. I would have been happy for any read after write consistency, never mind strong consistency. But... <laughs> <laughs> Like at least an SLA, right? Like give me, yeah. you know, guarantee it in 30 milliseconds, I'll be happy or something like that. So, yeah, I'm really shocked they were able to pull this off just because strongly consistent is one of those things that at a storage layer can be really difficult to do in and offer, you know, somewhat decent performance. So I'm really curious to see how this works. So we'll probably never find out, but I'd love to know. It's great. And this is just default, right? This is just moving forward yeah, you, don't have to, you don't have to turn this on you don't have to do anything special this is just for you right now it's available to you so it's probably been there for a little while and they just didn't talk about it until now the other s3 announcements were the ability to now to replicate to multiple destination buckets as well as support for two-way replication of bucket data so the first one is the multiple destination so before you could do either same region bucket replication or distant region replication to one region so if you needed to go to east to west you'd set up a bucket in us east one set up a bucket in US West 2, and you replicate the data between them, which is great if you only have two regions. But if you're following a cloud native practice, you should be multi-region beyond two, potentially, especially if you have Europe or Asia, you may need to have that data available in all of those places. So now you can replicate the data to all of those multiple regions. Other problem was if you needed to also replicate the data in the existing region, you couldn't do that as well without having a second bucket. So you're writing basically the same object multiple times or writing a lot of really terrible code in Lambda functions off of S3 events to do all this replication magic for you. And it was like kind of a pain. So that's all now been thrown away as well, simplified, all handled by AWS for you. You can now have an object be written to US West, US East 1, have it automatically written to another bucket in US East 1 as well as to a bucket in US West 2 or to Asia or Europe, wherever you want to be, which is really fantastic. And I'm happy about that feature alone. And then you add two-way replication and now you can create a completely distributed object storage that's completely replicated around the globe. And you can also find a, probably get some really good looping conditions if you're not careful. So be careful with that setting. But really nice to be able to actually see the data now. You know, I can have an object store in US that replicates to Asia, that replicates to Europe. And when those changes are made in those countries, that replicates across the globe without me having to do anything special there, which is really nice. I'm super excited about two-way replication. We've been trying to write stuff that would do that, and it would always bite us. <laughs> What do we wrote to make that happen? Yeah, it's, and there's so many use cases for that. Yeah, it's never quite good enough to get that replication yeah. in, in timely fashion. I was all about to just be annoyed at this just because I have written the crazy Lambda Rube Goldberg machine to make this happen so many times. I was going to leave all my existing automation in place, not replace it, even though they're offering this great solution just because I've already done it. And then they got me with the metrics, the ability to measure and see the replication latency and all of the metrics that they've populated as part of this release is is really a powerful thing which is enough to make me like oh no i'm gonna i'm gonna get rid of all of this and use the native solution it's great next strongly consistent reads across regions mm. Ooh. <laughs> that's tough that's 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 getting into physics <laughs> if they can make, if they can make that they can, start, they can start competing with a cloud spanner <laughs> so. I mean, at least if they regulate metadata first, you know that the object, there's a new version of an object in another region. If you make a, a request for an object in a region that it's not there yet, then you forward the request onto the bucket in the region that does have the data. So it's it's possible. 
Oh, it's definitely possible. It's just there's it's 20 milliseconds coast to coast. And so, like, what's your performance? <laughs> wormhole. Yeah. Wormhole. My answer is put it there sooner before you need it. <laughs> Says the guy who predicted Slack two years in advance. Well, you know. <laughs> he's, he's already living in the quantum world. He's like, the object exists or doesn't exist. Ooh. I can't really say until. That's it. Quantum entanglement. Mm, there you go. That's the... Instantly transferred. That's the, that's the secret to all success. Yes. It's not consistency. Apparently not, because Jonathan misses Q to talk about it. <laughs> I said something different instead. <laughs> but we have a show title based on your quote of the key to success is consistency. We even highlighted it in the show note, put your name on it, and then you never mentioned it. I know. Uh, it's funny that way. Do Google Docs support blinky text, HTML tags? Ryan, Ryan just dying in the background as I'm going on to the next topic was was really great. So if you heard Ryan snickering in the background, it's because he was trying to hold his... his that was really uh, I was just wondering how long you're going to wait before you move on to the next topic. Just like my tweet earlier, you know, how long before you honk at somebody at the green light? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did you see my response? I, I did. I didn't know how to respond though. <laughs> you still have the green light waiting. <laughs> or how do you, yeah, how long do you wait? I honk preemptively when I see the other light turn yellow. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash thecloudpod www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod foghorn the promise of cloud delivered well you know when honeycode which is amazon's no code solution came out earlier in the summer we mocked it mercilessly as it deserved to be mocked for all of the reasons we still say but they one of the ones that we talked about was the fact that it didn't integrate with anything and that Ian McKay actually kind of built something. And then he joined us on the show to talk about what he built, which is, it wasn't very difficult to build. Maybe he did. I don't remember if it was difficult, Ian, sorry. So then today they announced this integrating Amazon Honeycode with popular SaaS applications, AWS services, and more. And they can now integrate your existing workloads and data sources with SaaS apps. And then in the article, they mentioned with tools like Zapier, or Amazon AppFlow, which means that they don't even trust Amazon AppFlow yet either. <laughs> Take that into consideration when using AppFlow for all your purposes. Zapier, though, is a great alternative choice. And actually, I think one of the things I said during the announcement that I wish it just integrated with Zapier because mm-hmm. AppFlow did not exist at that particular time. There is no additional cost to integrate these other than the cost for Zapier if you have a subscription with them or your Amazon AppFlow costs for this. This is all available to you in Honeycode, which you know I've really seen a lot about Honeycode. I thought they get a lot more features this week at reInvent, and it's really been kind of quiet. So I think it was a race to just get on the no code movement, right? Like the release of it seemed rushed because it didn't seem like a very usable product when it came out. It's finally usable now, which is good. So, yeah, I mean, I think of all the things that they need to be in a race to get into, no code is not the one I would have picked for Amazon. Mm -hmm. I feel their lack of office suite software is kind of a a bit of a hold the back. They don't lack office suite software. It's just terrible and no one uses it. (laughs) Well, they they have email and they have work docs, which is like Dropbox, but they don't have Excel or Word or any of that kind of stuff. But I agree with you; those products are also awful. <laughs> but you know, I, if you're saying about a threat area, because how many customers are they started as Office 365 customers, now they ended up as 
Azure customers. And then the same thing, I'm a Google Suite customer. I'm getting all kinds of notifications saying, check out this BigQuery thing, check out this other mm-hmm. SaaS capability, which is all coming from their cloud. And it's all gateway on-ramp stuff right to their cloud that they just don't have at Amazon. So if I were to be in the race to get something, I would probably make that make those products better and maybe add to them. That's just my take. Apparently, Ian did get a Christmas gift. Well, he has to wait till 2022, but he's getting a region in Melbourne, Australia, so he doesn't have to do DR to Singapore anymore. And so AWS is bringing their new region to Melbourne, Australia in 2022, and it will have three AZs, and it will be the second region in Australia and the ninth overall in the Asia-Pacific region. They did announce that this will be a 100% renewable energy data center by 2025 as part of the goal to reach net zero carbon. And as part of this, they're funding two renewable energy projects which will generate 165 megawatts of capacity and ability to generate 392,000 megawatt hours per year of power. So those are going to be very big data centers with a lot of renewable energy needs. Yeah, I love that their Google kind of started this trend with their announcements and deploying new regions, but the impact to the environment and the climate of these things is it's a big deal. And so it's nice that they're coupling this with at least moves towards, you know, renewable energy and being carbon neutral. It's great. I mean, Amazon's definitely gotten some flack for carbon neutral because they've made a pledge and they haven't really updated much about their pledge since they did it. So it'd be good to see them continuing down this path. But, you know, 2025 is not that far away if you're not already starting on these projects. And then if you're a batch customer and you have been uh, using Easy2 batch processing and spot instances for Easy2, you have a new option, which is the ability to use Fargate as your compute engine for your batch computing jobs. So support both Fargate, basically normal Fargate, and then as well as the spot instance version of Fargate, allowing you a fully serverless serverless option for computing (laughs) engine for containers that limits the need to provision and manage your own servers. But AWS will manage their servers for you on your behalf in this particular case. That's a little weird of a weird bend on serverless, in my opinion. Well, batch is a weird service to begin with, right? Like rolling it out, use it, one of the applications I managed today. And it's, it was a little weird. It's like, oh no, but you have to stand up a, a container cluster in order to use it. Like, but I thought that it was a, you know, a batch service that managed the transactions for you. So it seems like they should have really orchestrated this under the hood for you when it was released, but that's what they're doing. Better late than never. Yeah. That's what they're doing. Yeah. Just yeah. getting to it now. Yeah. I'm sorry about the batch thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> I actually thought they supported Fargate already. I thought we'd looked at Fargate, but maybe not. No, That's we're, weird. We're running a full cluster for that guy. Yay. Now you don't have to. So I, save I, some money. I already put a feature request in our Slack room. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> Well, then, of course, yesterday, or to, uh, sorry, what day, what day is it? It's, it's Tuesday. So yesterday was the machine learning keynote. We did not talk about Trainium, because mostly because I don't like saying it. They have a new chip that was mentioned in Andy's keynote. We did not talk about it last week because we, there was not a lot of details yet. But the Trainium chip is basically a new ARM-based processor using the Habana Gadi-based Amazon EC2 instances built specifically for machine learning training powered by Intel's new Habana Gadi processors, which is weird. I don't understand this article. <laughs> Amazon claims Trainium will offer the most teraflops of any ML instance in the cloud and will be available in the second half of 2021 as an EC2 instance and in SageMaker. So that is important to know for the rest of these announcements because they all leverage Trainium in some horrible way. <laughs> in some of the part of the press release, they mentioned Trainium support. So be aware there's a new chip coming, second half of 2021, it may or may not be ARM, because I'm not, I'm not confused by the Intel part, but maybe that's my misunderstanding of this article. So I apologize if that's wrong. You can correct me in the Slack room or via Twitter. So other than that, they talked about a whole bunch of other stuff that I did not understand, because, again, we're not the podcast for machine learning. No. <laughs> and AI. We, 
it was never more obvious to me than me during that keynote, just not really like just things going right over my head. <laughs> yeah. There are really great keynote or podcasts out there talking about nothing but machine learning and AI, and I highly recommend you check those out. But do do come back for the other news. We're going to try our best through this, and you can laugh at us as we go. Yeah. The first one is they announced a data lake verticalized version for health, or they're calling Health Lake. Very creative. Amazon Health Lake stores, transforms, and analyzes health data in the cloud. Of course, healthcare orgs collect vast amounts of patient information every day, x-rays, family histories, clinical observations, metrics, etc. And they use all this data to compile a complete picture of a patient's health information in order to provide a better healthcare service. The Amazon Health Lake is a fully managed HIPAA-eligible service down preview that allows healthcare and life science customers to aggregate their health information from different silos and formats to a centralized AWS data lake. And it leverages machine learning models to normalize health data and automatically understand and extract meaningful medical information from the data so all this information can be easily searched. All available to you now, a specialized health data lake, which is kind of nice for people who need that. I mean, I yearn for the days where machine learning is not this extra thing that we have to tout because it is going to be something that's so ubiquitous in every technology. It's just going to be in everything. It already is in so many things that we don't even think about. I was sort of laughing as I was watching the ML keynote because I just kept like just SageMaker ML, Mm -hmm. Fargate ML, like Aurora ML. I'm like, you're just adding ML to everything. (laughs) It's not a new product. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) there are a lot of feature enhancements that aren't really feature enhancements or they're integrated under the covers. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, like I understand that machine learning is important. It's going to underpin a lot of these services in a lot of ways. But as a practitioner and as a DevOps kind of background person, I I just I enjoy understanding a little bit about it, but I, I don't care enough about the keynote. So it's unfortunate. I do think with health data specifically, it's going to, and it already has power, a lot of really advancements to patients themselves, just as far as like keeping track of patient data across different providers and different systems. Something I've been very wary of in the past, but now that it's sort of more prevalent in my day to day, I'm like, this is nice. I like this very much. (laughs) I don't have to fill in information. I don't have to fill in forms. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now that I don't like to go to the doctor anymore because of COVID, I am really enjoying telemedicine, which I tried before. I was like, this is a nice hokey thing. But now it's like, this is awesome. <laughs> so only go to the doctor through telemedicine. <laughs> Why? Why go in person? There have been some really good wins for healthcare around ML, though. Like things like the ability to diagnose Parkinson's disease over the phone, just listening to the variations in people's voice as the disease progresses, things like that. Just technology which you couldn't even have imagined 15 years ago. Yeah. There's, I read an article about AI diagnosing COVID by the sound of the cough specifically, you know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, so that one too. Wow, that's fascinating. Some very, very cool stuff coming in this world, but still early, early days. Well, if you are a DevOps person or an SRE person, you should be on the lookout for metrics, which is Amazon's new lookout for metrics anomaly detection service for monitoring the health of your business. Amazon lookout for metrics uses the same technologies by Amazon to detect anomalous changes in data that are otherwise hard to find while reducing the number of false detections, although it does apparently not cover U limits. <laughs> it yeah. also groups similar findings together, ranks them by severity, and provides information to determine the root cause of the anomaly. So this is a great SRE tool to help you kind of identify patterns in your data that are anomalous that you could then take action on. This is a kind of a cool tool and service for you. What technology do you think is under the hood there? Machine, Machine learning, learning AI. For sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All of SageMaker. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a big problem that the more metrics you have, the harder it is for a person to to understand it and, and comprehend it and, and correlate 
different metrics together. So you know, now we need a service to look at all the metrics to tell you what you should be paying attention to. Yeah, I mean, especially with microservices, you know, moving from the monolith, each one of those microservices has their own set of data. It's distinct from the other microservices. And so how do you keep track? It's nuts. Yeah. So I, I do think this actually is the feature that I wanted in the keynote that didn't happen for my observability type AI tool. So it came late. It's all right. Ah, yeah, yeah I think this is it. So there you go. And then the other part of it is I now look forward to making all of my metrics be that we're not down. We're just heavily degraded. In service. <laughs> <laughs> we have an elevated number of error messages occurring at this yeah. moment, sir. Yeah. Yeah. We're not down technically. Yeah. Some people still surf are the internet from the server. It's yes. fine. <laughs> it's a fine line between the control plane being down and the, the existing running services being down. I mean, AC2 instances, that's one thing. But if you use Kinesis and Kinesis wasn't working, it wasn't degraded. It was down. Down. <laughs> it was down. down. Yeah. It was down hard for folks. It was, yeah, it, yeah. That nomenclature kind of bugs me every time there's a major outage. And like, yeah. I think maybe Corey's talking about this or somebody else is that to be read on the status dashboard is sort of Andy Jassy has to green light that apparently, which I think is a weird SRE anti pattern in my opinion. So. I don't know if that's true or not, but if, if someone could let me know if that's true, who does know? I think that's really interesting if it is true. So. I mean, it just decreases the value of the status page if it's not real time and actual and it's more marketing material. Yeah. And it explains why there are third party status pages for all kinds of sites and services, including Amazon, you know, the honest yeah. ones. This one is actually kind of interesting because uh, I think I've bounced around this idea with some people a couple times as a startup potential idea, and Amazon killed it before I wasted years of my life building a startup. <laughs> this is the new AWS Audit Manager Simplifies Audit Preparation. Uh, this is ability to gather evidence in a timely manner to support an audit can be a significant challenge due to manual, error-prone, and sometimes distributed processes. Preparing for an audit can take weeks or months in some cases and a large loss of productivity, which I can fully attest to. <laughs> we, which is why we, we said we should make a startup around this. And then I realized I'd be selling to GRC teams and I kind of lost interest. <laughs> <laughs> but there's also the side of, uh, you know, traditional audit practices that don't always transfer to cloud. And so for your GRC teams, how do you get them to understand the cloud world? How do you show that the controls are being met? And so Amazon is releasing AWS Audit Manager, a fully managed service that provides pre-built frameworks for common industry standards and regulations and automates the continual collection of evidence to help you in preparing for the audit. The tool is as simple as choosing the framework you want to audit against, select the Amazon services and scope of the audit, and let Amazon do its magic and produce a beautiful report for you that tells you all of the issues. It collects this data every day, so you have basically the ability to see when your system was out of compliance at any given day and time, and is available today in the 10 AWS regions and more to come, as well as integrated into AWS organizations. The most important question of this is what frameworks are supported. <laughs> and so the Control Tower, License Manager, Amazon's CIS for AWS Level 1 and 2, CSA-type controls, those are all there. FedRAMP Moderate is here, which I was surprised to see. GDPR is here. CFR Part 11 for GXP for uh, healthcare. HIPAA, High Trust, version 9.4, Level 1. And PCI DSS is all here as well as SOC 2, which are pretty much the big ones. There's some other ones as well. I'm actually surprised ISO missed on this list. I figured ISO would be on the list, but it's not there. But it is part of some of the CSA items. So I think it makes it gets covered there in some fashion. But yeah, that's a really great set of frameworks. I'm kind of curious to see how it works in practice, uh, but I'm not going to do it anytime soon before Christmas. That's cool. I, I think Peter's just sitting there wishing that he could automate the AWS partner audits. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like a, I'd like a, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was thinking that the good startup to start would be the one, because obviously this is going to collect the evidence, but if the evidence isn't there, it's, you're not compliant. Maybe you can start a startup that creates synthetic evidence. 
Well, I, I think there, this doesn't help you. Uh, I don't know about synthetic evidence. Just, just to test the tool, right, Peter? Just yeah, to yeah, test yeah, the yeah. tool. Uh, it's, a, it's a red team auditing tool to help yeah. you make yeah. sure. Well, there's a lot of money in auditing. There's a lot there's of, a money of money in auditing. And my, you know, if you're collecting data every day automatically now and you don't need people dedicated to the task, then you can be auditing yourself every day. You don't mm-hmm. need somebody to come in and do this for you. You could put a lot of people out of business, and that, that wouldn't be out of line with what Amazon does with other services, but. Well, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see these tools also become part of the requirements. Like why wouldn't Ernst and Young say, if you're an Amazon shop, you need to be using the audit manager for these frameworks. Like it may become part of the job or a way to get a discount on some of those third-party attestations that you need to get, which could be interesting in the future as well. But if you do a startup in the space, you really have to cover on-prem, which is the big, the big hairy beast. And then you have to cover the cloud providers, or at least give you APIs and you know they combine all that together into one magical dashboard of, of doom. You can see the near future of the audit is if you're on Amazon, mm-hmm. your dashboard has to be green. You don't even have to pay a third-party audit company anymore. Well, and you still need a third-party because that's how these attestations work. But they can come in and they can look at it and say, you know, here's 365 days worth of audits. You had one day where you're out of compliance. What did you do on that day? You can show that proof you're done. Like it's a, it's a yeah. super quick audit at that point. And you know, that's why I'm saying maybe you get a discount if you're an Ernst and Young customer or somebody else who comes in and says, oh, you're using the audit framework, show us your 365 review. We're sign off on that and we're good to go. Yeah, I think how much more valuable those audit results are if you prove that every single day of the year in compliance and not just the day the auditor showed up. Yeah. Not to mention, <laughs> auditors don't check everything. No, they do a spot they check They ask questions stuff. and you answer them, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. And then they ask if, for evidence. If you're allowed yeah. to answer them, yeah. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to speak to you. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a weird thing because, you know, they'll be like, well, you, you did 12,000 changes in the last year. We want to look at six of them. And they randomly <laughs> pick six changes from the last year. And those might be the six that you did perfectly. And the other yeah. 11,994 were completely bonkers. But they didn't call those ones out because they didn't see them. So the ability to do this more often actually make company more secure. It helps resolve a lot of manual errors that can happen in your auditing process. I think it's cool. I'm, I'm excited to see what it can do. I think it's, I haven't played with it yet, but I'm looking forward to it after the new year. Yeah, maybe the audit training that Amazon are doing now for auditors and the compliance teams will also help teach the auditors to tell people to use this tool. Yeah, step one, <laughs> look at the dashboard. <laughs> it, step it was two, a if bit, it's green, pass them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was a little di- interesting that they just announced that training and then all of a sudden this tool comes out. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, oh yeah, that makes sense. We're going to teach you how to use this tool to validate your audit as one of your practices. So that's good. And then the next section of this keynote for ML was all about SageMaker. SageMaker got a lot of friends. <laughs> the first one was SageMaker Edge Manager, which is a simplified way to operate machine learning models on edge devices, which I didn't know people wanted to do, but apparently they do. Well, they do. I mean, think about the data, the volume of data that gets put into training the models. It takes millions of hours of compute time. It's very expensive. You know, the Teslas and the Zooks and the Waymos of the world they spend so much money on compute to train the models. But when you actually build the models, they have to run consumer hardware in a car or on a phone or something else. And you really need to put a lot of effort into pruning those things down. There's been a lot of research recently in how to optimize using the models once they've been built versus versus sort of the, the building side. It's a hard problem to begin with. It should be easy at the end. And one of the things that they do is they sort of look at the, the least important weights in these neural networks and they prune them out and they say well how much does it affect the outcome does it affect it significantly no chop it out like the surgeon's favorite motto when in doubt cut it out 
<laughs> well, I mean, I, I've been looking for aliens by SETI at home for years, and I have yet to find an alien. So hopefully it works better in this model. Oh, the aliens destroyed our receiver, apparently. In an attempt so. to not be discovered, unfortunately. That's sad. That's what they, that's what they say, yeah. <laughs> The next one up is the Amazon Maker Clarified Detect. It detects biases and increases the transparency of machine learning models. This allows customers to basically explain their model behavior to stakeholders and to customers and allows data scientists to detect bias in data sets prior to training and in models after the training itself. It does measure bias using a variety of statistical metrics and explain how features of value contribute to the predicted outcome both for the model overall and for the individual predictions. And it can detect bias drift and feature importance drift over time with integration into SageMaker Model Monitor which is also a new product that's available to you as well. So this is really trying to solve a big problem that is plaguing data scientists, which is bias and an inherent bias. And this does a lot of good work in that space. I desperately want to get a hold of one of those Twitter bots that slowly became racist over time, you know, with, with <laughs> machine learning, just based on interaction and then run it through these things to see what you'd find. Sort of the, the reverse of what this is intended to do, but only demonstrate that bias and, and what it has, the impact it has. It's pretty fun. Things I will do when I have unlimited money. Yes. yes. Well, if you ever get to that point and you are trying to figure out what went wrong with your Amazon SageMaker job, they have a new Amazon SageMaker debugger, which is an ability to let you debug your machine learning training jobs. They also have the ability to do massive data parallelism in SageMaker, which is basically code for makes it very possible to burn gobs of money very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Amazon SageMaker now also provides you training of deep learning models with billions of parameters. So if you need to have the same model, the same data set, but train it with different, different options and parameters that may change the outcome, you can now do that without having to give it different data, which is nice. They've given you a new store, discover and share machine learning features with the Amazon SageMaker feature store. We talked about Data Wrangler last week and the awesome name of it, which is that visual interface to prepare data for machine learning. And then we also talked about Amazon SageMaker pipelines to bring your DevOps capabilities to machine learning, as well as they now built a bunch of jump starts for you as well to simplify your access to pre-built models and machine learning solutions, all for SageMaker. So SageMaker family is growing. They were very busy over the year. They have now many, many new children to make your SageMaker journey much, much easier. Mm. I'd love to hear from somebody who uses GCP's machine learning services and to find out whether what Amazon have now is, you know, has parity with what GCP do. Because GCP have always been the leader in AI machine learning. I mean, have Amazon caught up now? Let me know. I did hear that SageMaker was a pretty big step in the right direction for improving the story of machine learning and AI for AWS. And that was kind of a big deal that like, Google didn't really have a good answer for beyond BigQuery's console. But, you know, I do think Google's got a bunch of tools in the space and I just don't know them well enough. Well, that's it for uh, reInvent this week. The infrastructure keynote is tomorrow. So I'm expecting to see some infrastructure stuff tomorrow as well as Warner's next week. Uh, so still much, much more to come from reInvent in its three-week version. How, have you guys had any sessions at reInvent? Any of the virtual sessions? I have. How are they? Yeah, no, I, I, finding the sessions a little easier to attend. And I think that might just be the logistics, like the logistics in a typical reInvent of being in the right casino at the right time and then standing in line, like usually prevent me from seeing as many as I want to. And so this is a little easier. It's a little bit more difficult on the flip side is that I've not dedicated sort of my time to sessions. And so I find myself wanting to go to sessions and then I can't because I have like a work meeting or kids need IT support for their school and sort of that kind of thing. So it's got us pros and cons. But I, I do find that they're a little shorter, they're a little bit more bite size, and maybe because they're not really recorded, li- they're not done live. Maybe there's some editing. 
And so that might be a little bit faster pace, which is kind of nice. So I like it. There's also the fact that there's no Q&As at the end. So you miss out on all those questions of people. They just took 25 minutes explaining this amazing technology. They get up there and go like, so exactly what does it do again, sir? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't have that. So well, that's a little bit of a detriment because those Q&A sessions, like when they started doing the, what, the Chalk Talks, like those are oh, some yeah, of my favorite. Talk Talks are great. Those are my favorite sessions. And it was basically just Q&A. Well, now that Amazon's gone hybrid, maybe they'll make their conference go hybrid too. And then they can give you the best of both worlds. Like, well, I'm at the win and I'm not going to make it to the Bellagio. So maybe I could just live stream it on my iPad here in the lobby. <laughs> That'd be great. I wouldn't mind that option. Seems super simple, right? On conference Wi-Fi. Well, I mean, the conference Wi-Fi is problematic <laughs> on its own. But uh, yeah, I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that they have ton of media streaming capabilities they've been releasing this year, all of the media convert and the, the live stuff. So they, they have the technology, they even own it, which uh, makes it interesting. So hopefully. I was going to say, I just want to mention that Amazon is still running game days, even though they're virtual. Yes, they are. And uh, Unicorn Rentals are back. Yes, they are. Nice. Yep. I did do the thing where you're supposed to go find, untangle the wires of the server to get a shirt or something like that. I did do that. I don't think I ever got an email about my shirt, though. Then I saw someone else say that you get a, a hoodie through the trivia. Like, I don't know where the trivia is. So like, there's these secret rooms I don't know. Well, it's usually the first night, right? Trivia. I mean, yeah, at reInvent, there is a trivia event, but like they're saying like there's you can just do trivia anytime on this one thing, and I haven't mm. found it yet. So, But uh, yeah, you know, it's good to get out there and kind of do some of the fun stuff, too. They, they try to mix it up with uh, some fun and some learning and some game day stuff, which is great. There's also a security jam, too, if you want to do security jam again. Yeah, I keep meaning to try to figure out if I can, because I know I missed the session time of the security jam and it's first come, first serve, but is it just on demand? It's like, I keep meaning to go look that up and I haven't done it. All right, enough reinvent. Yeah. Off to Google. <laughs> so uh, this is Google. We're catching up on Google all the way back to Thanksgiving week because we did skip them last week because reinvent took all the oxygen out of the room. So first up is Google has acquired Actifio. Actifio. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, they are back of disaster. Yeah. <laughs> They are a backup and disaster recovery provider. This will offer customers opportunity to protect virtual copies of their data in native format, manage these copies throughout their entire lifecycle, and use these copies for scenarios like development and test. Actifio helps customers increase business availability by simplifying and accelerating backup and DR at scale across cloud, native, and hybrid. Automate backup and protect a variety of workloads, including enterprise databases like SQL Server and SAP. Bring significant efficiency to data storage, transfer and recovery, and accelerate application development and reduce DevOps cycles with test data management tools all available to you hopefully sometime in the future once this acquisition closes on the Google platform. Isn't protecting virtual copies of data just copying a file? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if it's in the right format already as a data, you know, if I can use it for DR and it automatically does stuff, then that's pretty cool. But if it's just files, yeah, I agree with you. It's kind of, <laughs> it's pointless. Sales job. Yeah. <laughs> we copy oh. it over there. Faster with, <laughs> I still think a lot of, yeah, a lot of these are with the eye on migration. Oh, oh yeah. And onboarding customers to your cloud. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We know about the challenge of what do you do when you've got 15 years of backups in a proprietary format when you need to move it to S3 or, or and still make it accessible if a customer calls you. Yeah. Now that here's this cool tool that falls in that area of helping get over some of the blockers of getting to the cloud. And now we'll make it free for you if you're moving to our cloud. Yep. And I think it's an entry point for a lot of enterprise, right? You, you get the cloud accounts, you get the user access management, you get people interacting with your cloud, even if it is just for this, you know, edge case DR scenario, but then that sort of proliferates and you start using it for more and more things. So it's, it's a smart play. 
If you could fail over to the cloud, you could migrate to the mm-hmm. cloud. That's one method of migrating. Yep. Is it failing at that point now? <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> succeeding. Not, succeeding over yeah. to Hopefully the cloud. You, yeah. yeah, you fail. You successfully fail over. You yeah. don't roll back and you don't fall <laughs> forward. You just fail over seamlessly. Hello, I'm Mark, co-founder and chief product officer at OpenRaven. We built our platform to address the clear need for companies to better track and secure their data in the cloud. OpenRaven continuously monitors and maps data hosted in your AWS cloud. We alert you about security events and archive events for analytics to capture trends over time. With our real-time data discovery that scales to any environment, you get a complete asset inventory and data catalog to power your security program and prevent data breaches. Visit openraven.com slash the cloud pod to learn more and start a free trial to discover, classify, monitor, and protect the data you have in the cloud. Well, where you don't want to fail is in security. And so Google has released the security command center premium feature container threat detection. This is announced a few months back. This is now generally available. This allows you to detect the most common container runtime attacks and alerts you to any suspicious activity for free. So Aqua and Twistlock, I don't need you anymore, I guess. Key findings will include suspicious binary execution, suspicious libraries loaded, and reverse shells all available to you inside of containers. So that's a nice built-in the feature for cloud, Google Cloud. The next one up is Anthos on Bare Metal uh, is now generally available. This was also in beta previously. This allows you to run Anthos in your private data center on bare metal servers without having to have a virtualization layer like VMware or something else. This is available in a pay-as-you-go model and a subscription pricing, and it does follow the tried-and-true tradition of letting you buy the hardware and then charging you for the hardware, (laughs) which includes vCPU price of $75 per month per vCPU if you're paying as pay-as-you-go. And if you are willing to commit to it and subscribe, you can get that for $50 per vCPU. So you can now double pay for all of your capacity on-premise with the Anthos bare metal capability. <laughs> wow, at that point, it costs, I want it. It costs more than the hardware does at that point. It's going to get pretty pricey. <laughs> what cost are they trying to recruit with this pricing? Like, this is insane. Giving yeah. Kubernetes away is what they're trying to recruit. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I, I assume because this is Anthos, you're still paying the Anthos 10,000 minimum plus, yeah. plus everything else you're running on Anthos, and then you have it on premise, which is nice. But yeah, it, it's one of those. Uh, it's kind of annoying when you make me buy the hardware and then pay, charge me for the hardware I already bought. It's a bit unfortunate. Introducing .NET for Google Cloud Functions is now available with .NET Core 3.1, which is a free cross-platform and open-source platform for Windows, Mac, and Linux. Uh, the .NET runtime also supports Visual Basic and F-Sharp code. And that's all I can say about that, because I don't know anything more about this topic. All right. Uh, well, next up is uh, moving on to .NET, because it <laughs> sent our hosts out of the door. <laughs> So Forrester (laughs) has released a new native security wave for infrastructure as a service. And Google is a leader in the quadrant with a strong current offering in the new native security Forrester wave for native security. AWS is also a leader in the quadrant, but less capable apparently on their current offerings. But their strategy is apparently stronger, which is a little weird. Maybe Forrester got some inside baseball knowledge about what their future strategy is because their current strategy is not very security focused, which is why I actually I agree with them. I think. Google is in the lead on this. Microsoft and IBM are in the strong performers band. Microsoft actually has quite a bit there and a lot more advanced threat protection and endpoint stuff. So I actually think they're a little bit higher up, in my opinion, but that's just me. They have to protect Windows servers, though, so they have to be. (laughs) 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 Wow. 
Wow. We went from .NET to hacking Windows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good. And then Alibaba, Huawei, and Oracle are all in the contenders position of this particular wave. So uh, there you go. If you're interested in that, you can go get it for free from Google, and you can avoid paying Forrester a lot of money for that wave. So that's available to you. I think the joke's on all of us, and those dots are randomly placed just to mess with us. <laughs> sure they are. <laughs> I'm sure there's a tried and true methodology that they use to how they calculate those dots. And if you read the article, it would tell you the methodology they're using, and then you could argue about it. <laughs> well, it's it's weird though to say that Google is further ahead than AWS. I mean, if you turn the in graph execution, on its side, but not in strategy. Yeah, I mean, if, if you turn the thing 90 degrees, then then the other person wins. Like, who's to say that the one thing is more important than the other thing? Mm-hmm. Well, typically in enterprise world, you only care about who has the most customers because you want to you want to be like the Joneses. And follow them into the abyss of Oracle. That's how that works. You want the slideware, right? So that you can announce to the rest of your customer base, your stakeholders, the rest of your company, like, we chose the thing that's in front. And that's where the old adage, uh, you never got fired for buying IBM back in the 80s was from that mentality. So that mentality sticks around now. Now IBM will get you fired. But, you know, there's other things that have replaced that methodology. So. Dataform is another acquisition from Google. This one apparently is a tool that lets you run SQL server or SQL code in BigQuery. So they leverage BigQuery's innovative architecture, allowing for practically unlimited scale to enable analysts and engineers to manage their, all their data processes within BigQuery. And the combo means you can leverage software development best practices to find, document, test, and deploy data transformations using SQL executed within BigQuery. And this is now available free for all customers of BigQuery, which is, uh, I guess, nice if you want to write SQL for NoSQL solutions. There you go. I do. It's like the language that'll never go away. I mean, there was all this discussion about well, when aliens finally come, how will we communicate? You know, we're going to end up it's communicating sequel. with a sequel. <laughs> <laughs> it does feel the that question, way. though, will be will they know what star means? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Select star, star. And then Google actually has an announcement about a Terraform module, which this actually kind of this becomes a trend. I'm super excited about this. But they basically released a new Terraform module for provisioning load balancers optimized for serverless applications. A few, about a month ago, I think we talked about this particular use case where you can actually set up a load balancer to talk to serverless. And if you read through the blog post that we linked to, it was a very complicated process. Lots of networking dependencies, lots of things you have to set up and do and work through, and not very easy or quick to do. And so this Terraform module lets you complete your load balancing tasks quickly and easily instead of configuring many, many underlying functions yourself in Terraform. So that's a really nice enhancement. I would love to see all of the cloud providers really get onto the module bandwagon to make solutions. Uh, I think that'd be really cool. Completely. Yeah. Well, CloudFormation doing that with CloudFormation modules already. So It's so strange though, right? Because all they have to do, so they, they abstracted it, they've built their module, they've boiled it down to their six or seven key variables that you need to configure all of the underlying services Sure, create the Terraform module, but three months away should be build this into the service. Well, the trick between these things is offering the flexibility of all those knobs underneath the hood, changing these things because your people are going to have different use cases, but then also providing the easy button. And so, yeah, you know, wizard, right? Well, there's a there's wizard. A, there's Get a going. wizard. It's in the GUI, and so they do all that magic for you in the GUI as GUI code that you don't want to use. And I want to go do it in Terraform. They're like, oh, well, it, actually, it's you know 12 services stitched together that you now have to manually configure in a Terraform module. And Google doesn't really have a great CloudFormation competitor. So if Terraform becomes kind of their play and their modules are their way to do that, I'm okay with that. Yeah, and, they, and they've totally backed Terraform. Terraform is their play. Yep. And I love it. I mean, everything we do is in Terraform, and I love that model. But it's just strange to see that, okay, here's a service that's extremely complex. We can actually 
boil it down to these 10 main configuration options. But the easiest way to do that is Terraform, not in the service itself via the API itself. That's fair. I mean, if anyone's complaining that 10 resources in Terraform is complex, then they obviously haven't tried using API Gateway with AWS. <laughs> if they can't do it with just these 10 variables, then they're going to dig down below the below that, which means they're not going to be able to, they're going to have to manage this module. They're going to fork this module anyway, and it's going to be theirs to manage. Do you want easy or do you want functionality? I mean, I suppose easy is the foot in the door, and then you it's a module. You can modify it yourself if you need to. But then you can't expect them, you can't just point to their Git repo and expect them to manage the version of the module for you. Now you're managing it. Yeah. I mean, they could have made it a resource and they could have hidden all the, all the workings inside Terraform, but they didn't. They made it something that was easy to understand. Yeah, exercise and education, which kind of makes you think, well, does it really warrant a, a press release when it's something that you could have found from any of the countless people that have already had to build this in Terraform and the code's already available in Git? Eh, I don't know. Well, I mean... Press release overloading is is a common practice. We've seen, we've noticed here at the Cloud Pod. I can't fault them for some team being excited about their feature and wanting to announce it to the world in a press release. That <laughs> you can fault me for picking it for the show notes. <laughs> well, I got to do something to reinvent to distract people. I do want to see it as a trend, though. I do think that supported modules for common functions is just a huge optimization they can put out there, and it adds a lot of value to people trying to adopt their cloud using infrastructure as code. I mean, people have done the same thing for the Amazon VPC. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. The open source module for that is absolutely fantastic. It, it was, I mean, covers pretty much every piece of EC2 you could imagine. Yeah, I think our VPC module is better. VPC in a box. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the best ever. I have used the Terraform module for VPCs. I do. I do also like it. I think it's quite good. I have not used VPC in a box, uh, but I, maybe I should if it's better. It's better. You might have, you know what, you might have, and you just don't know it. <laughs> well, I know we did early on in our cloud journey, but I think I ripped that out after I got there. So. Oh, the, the, yeah, the cloud formation version, we definitely Oh, used. not that one. Yeah, we definitely yeah, used the cloud formation one. version. Not that one, yeah. Although that was pretty good for its time. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, let's move to Azure, who also has been, they've been kind of quiet. They've been quiet all year, though. We'll get to that in a minute, why I think that might be the case. <laughs> Here at the last story for Azure. So first up is uh, they also are building new regions. The first one is a new region in Sweden, which they are saying will be apparently the most sustainable data center they've ever built because they're going to have a partnership with Vattenfall to provide a 24-7 matching carbon neutral solution, which that doesn't mean your data center is sustainable just because you're paying for it to be sustainable. But okay, Microsoft, whatever. Upcoming plans also include a skilling initiative, which I read as skiing initially. So I'm super excited about skiing as a potential thing for up to 150,000 Swedes in the future. A new region will have availability zones as well, which is nice because Azure has not always traditionally built new data centers with availability zones. I also read that as skiing and now I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> yes. I don't know. Something, something about Sweden. I was like, skiing is in my mind and that says skiing to me. Yeah. I'm like they're going to pay people to ski. I'll yeah. use the data. Yeah. That's so awesome. They also yeah. uh, decided that uh, Sweden had a data center. Denmark needed a data center too, because if you're going to be in the dark, dark winters of Denmark, a data center might be right for you. And so they will also be building a sustainable data center there, but not as sustainable as a Swedish one because they don't have that partnership for that 24 by 7 matching offset. So I don't know about that. And they will be also teaching people how to ski as well for 200,000 Danes by 2024, skiing lessons from Asia. So there you go. (laughs) They just need the non-sustainable data center to keep their hands warm. (laughs) Exactly. Maybe that's it. Yeah, it's good. Good call. Yeah. Good, good call. Didn't think about that. 
Well, then Azure apparently got rumor that the IO3 instances were coming from AWS. And so they decided to increase the throughput, the base throughput and the burst throughput of the Azure premium file tier uh, for customers get, to get more IOPS for free. So baseline IOPS used to be one IOP times the provision gigabytes in use up to 100,000 IOPS and a burst limit of three times the baseline ops, which is fun math to do and especially in an outage when you try to figure that math out. <laughs> I was like, well, what was the burst on that? Now you get 400 IOPS regardless of the size of the instance plus the one IOP per gigabyte provisioned and a max burst of 4,000 plus three times the baseline up to 100,000 maximum IOPS all available to you. So there you go. You get that for free if you're using Azure File Premium tier. Well, you're already paying for it. So technically, just gave you a better product. Yeah. Not really free. Yeah. I hope it wasn't just a me too thing that they've just increased, you know, just cranked the dial up a little bit in response to the, to the Amazon thing. Because if I was if I was a customer of Azure and they did that, I'd be pissed that they won't just give me the best service they could for the price. I want to know if the underlying technology is the increase that's behind both these announcements. Like if you think about, you know, the storage hardware, it's still running on disk somewhere. And maybe that's the big advancements that's powering both these things. I think SSD speeds have increased hugely in the past 12 months. That may be the the driver for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very possible. And then the last announcement from Azure this week is that they've been working on that Jedi contract, as we know, trying to get that done before the administration changes, I assume, uh, or you know, before the courts <laughs> overturn it, yeah. or whatever other terrible thing might happen to this. So they've announced the new Azure government top secret region, which means it's already failed as they admitted they have a top secret region, as the key to top secret is you don't talk about yeah. a top secret. Rule number one. It's a rule so number that, one and two of Fight Club. Come on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so they have, a, they have a new Azure government top secret region. Amazon only has a secret region because they don't talk about their top secret region. That's how I see it. That's my argument. They did update the Azure government top secret region, or sorry, secret regions. It's designed to provide the same capabilities as Azure, Azure government, and Azure government secret regions. And they have the continuum of compute from Mission Cloud Tactical Edge. Azure government secrets also now has the joy of Kubernetes, the launch of Azure Kubernetes service and Azure container instances on the government secrets, which I guess just means that we're not getting anything for government ever again, because they're going to be too busy trying to figure out YAML for Kubernetes. And then the government region got additional availability zones as apparently they needed more room for all that Jedi workload coming on board. Though I don't think that fits in the government. I think that's in the secret or the top secret, but what do I know? And then they also now support Windows virtual desktops in Azure government with FedRAMP high accreditation. So you can now get your workstations virtually in the Azure cloud. And then they also are now making available to you the Azure Stack Edge and the modular data centers for the tactical edge for combat, I guess, which this is Google. They'd be rioting in the streets. Uh-huh. <laughs> For tactical reasons, my cloud products being used, that's terrible. So, But apparently Microsoft's okay with that. And so they have made available to you the rugged servers and the modular data centers all available to you in war zones for your Azure near the war. That's what you need. So there you go. And that is it. Oh, Windows Virtual Desktops is, is interesting, especially secure Windows Virtual Desktops, because I mean, I understand how that would that would, could protect data. But now you have to protect the client, which connects to the virtual desktop in, in a different way. Mm-hmm. which there may not be a traditional tool for. Yeah. Well, I assume that they, they had to have some type of secure laptop that has the ability to have some type of reader or, or biometric capability that then allows them to connect to this thing on the cloud, which is even more secure, was my assumption. <laughs> well, I mean, they own the entire execution environment of that virtual desktop, so it is it is more secure. But yeah, you're right. It a, you got to handle the authentication part. You know, if I was a government employee, they're not going to let me use my, just my normal iPad yeah. to connect to my Windows yeah. virtual desktop. In Azure government say that's okay because they don't know what's on my iPad or on my personal laptop or personal Windows box. So it's, it's still going to be a government-issued piece of equipment that they control mm-hmm. first. 
And you're going to have to have your wallet. phone near you and whatever secure card and your YubiKey. And you're going to need all of them. Yeah. Yep. And the blood sampler. So yeah. make sure your, your DNA hasn't changed. I, I just love when Microsoft Authenticator calls me for uh, SSO and says, press the pound sign. You know, like, no, no type of pin in, no nothing. No, you've just tried to log on from this particular workstation or this IP address or anything. It just gives you this blank warning, like, please press the pound sign to authenticate. Oh, okay. All right, that's fine. Uh, so I believe, that's uh, I believe that is configurable. <laughs> yeah. And that is our configuration of that tool. But I actually, at a prior life, we were using a data center that specializes in healthcare and it would call you to authenticate you for when you logged into the VPN and it would say nothing. It would just literally be this call with nothing on mm-hmm. the other end and you had to hit a button. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> it, it was it was really bad. I, yeah. I was not impressed by that method at all. I'm like, so this call that I don't even know what it is, I'm just pushing a beep. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take any inputs from me other than that. It just Yeah, and it's not the same number that calls you each time, so you can't put it in your phone book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Clearly before the days of robocallers, like if you're not in my contact list, my phone doesn't even ring anymore. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I try not to have anything call me. I just text message me, please. And then I actually, my authenticator drives me crazy because I use Authy for everything else mm-hmm. but that. Yes. And I can't use Authy with yeah. Authenticator. But if, I mean, if you think about the, the hitting the pound side and compare that to a push notification where you're just largely hitting approve, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. I mean, but at least I have to have the app installed and have to be authenticated and have a token versus a phone call, which could be to any number mm-hmm. in the world. I suppose that's true. Yeah, setting phone numbers is, is prevalent. Oh, yeah. What do they call it when they basically jam out your cell phone with a cell phone carrier and basically steal your number through that process temporarily? So there's all kinds of ways oh. to spoof that. I've heard of sim jacking, but I don't know about that one. Yeah, I think it's cell slamming or something. Like that. I don't remember the name, but someone's got the coolest names. Those do hackers are not uh, not dull people. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that is it for the main show, Peter. We have a question for you on the lightning round. First of all, you know, so I think you said that whoever won the prediction show will get that many points in their total. And so we have not officially given any points yet for the reInvent win that Ryan received last week. And so we need you to decide if that is going to happen or not, because that will either mean Jonathan and Ryan are in a tie or Ryan's still behind one of the two. Follow-up question. Do you have PayPal or Venmo or any of those (laughs) other devices? What is this like only the winner gets the points? What is this like the Electoral College or something? This is bullshit. Well, you also get a point too. So he gets two and you would maybe get one, I guess. Wait, for for his honorable mention? (laughs) Oh, no, no, there no, was no, no, there was one. Was, there was no, one. It's a good point. It's a good point. Yeah. So Ryan gets two and Jonathan gets seven. <laughs> seven? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I see Jonathan's already found the, the Venmo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, give Jonathan one. Ryan gets two. Mm-hmm. All right. So that Justin gets nothing. <laughs> God, he'll like it. Is, is this... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's not what I said. Didn't, I, this... didn't I get one too? I thought I got well. I was no, you got part, like honorable mention. You did, but everyone vetoed you and said you got a half. You can have a half. We'll give him a half. Is, is he gets a half. Gets a one, half the... one more. Jonathan gets one more than he had. Not one total for the year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Justin to six point five. Jonathan to nine. Ryan to eight. Yes. Is there some way we can form an alliance, Ryan, to be Justin out for the uh, Yeah, we got to figure end, out how we take him down. <laughs> Combine our powers. Like Captain Planet. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I guess the first step would be winning today. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. It's very true. All right, Peter, let's, let's do it. There is a new SaaS lens in the AWS Well Architected tool. Because yep. SaaS companies don't know anything about cloud. 
That's yeah. ABS Marketplace now offers professional services. <laughs> I prefer the unprofessional service they used to give. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Just one more way that you can pay your software vendors way too much money through the marketplace. So I appreciate that one. Thanks, Microsoft. Uh, thanks, yeah. Amazon. Click of the or button. Or alternatively, you could get a great price on FogOps and other Foghorn services in the AWS marketplace coming soon to a marketplace near you. Nice. I had this question to the CEO of Foghorn and I said, hey, would I be able to buy for all of my stuff through this new professional service thing? And he said he's going to find out. So if you have no confirmation. We just submitted our FogOps team service for approval. Oh, cool. Nice. Congrats. Yeah. Thank you. We'll see what happens. I just signed the contract for my renewal on that, though. So that's a bummer. But okay. (laughs) That's okay. We can figure that out for you. Do Amazon still take a huge slice of the commission from that, though? No comment. Based on (laughs) non disclosure agreements that I may or may not have Mm. right next to the. the statement of whether or not we do or do not have a top secret SRE group. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Ooh, no, but, we have but really yes. one more important question. Does spend in the marketplace still count towards our EDP? It depends on your EDP agreement, but it does in most agreements today. It depends on your contractual negotiations. Ah, no, that could be useful. That's good to know. What do you think about managed entitlements in AWS License Manager that streamline license tracking and distribution for customers and ISVs? I mean, what did it do before? I mean, there's not the whole point of tracking licenses to know where they're entitled and what servers are using it. I mean, uh, Amazon. Managing entitlements. Millennials love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's nothing more exciting. Uh, can I just call the winner now? Nah. Uh, I love ripping on millennials. Um, Okay. (laughs) Introducing AWS SaaS Factory Insights Hub. So you can use that lens to now get insights into your factory and hub thing. I don't get it. I mean... (laughs) I mean, I, I don't know why they didn't just awesome. call this <laughs> migration factory for SaaS. I don't know why they had to get more complicated than that. Oh, my goodness. Introducing, how about this one? The new AWS travel and hospitality competency. So this is just a lot of people moving their Oracle hospitality services to AWS. Got it. So what I thought this was, was everyone so sick of being in their house. They're like, no, I should get a travel competency so that when I can leave my house, I, I will know how to do this. And then I read the details of it. And it's like, so I can manage virtual travel experiences? Oh, lame. But I was also thinking like, oh, the partners who really wanted this competency to help the travel and hospitality industry probably don't exist right <laughs> they now. Want, want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they want this buyer, to reinvent. The, yeah, for sure. The buyers of it are having a tough time, so... Okay, introducing AWS SaaS Boost. What do you think about this one? Well, it's obviously better because it's a boost on the previous SaaS thing. Boosted? Yeah. It's a boosted factory that's Mm -hmm. well-architected. That's perfect. All I want is like a button, like the old desktops where you had the turbo button. That's That's all this needs. It's a button. I don't think for boosting SaaS is AWS, now with high heels. (laughs) Nice. So the minute you said it that way, I was thinking about stealing the SaaS, like boosting it, like, mm. you know, like, yeah. they're just stealing our SaaS. They're, they have a whole service for stealing. Our- <laughs> <Boost>. <laughs> <laughs> AWS ISV Accelerate. 
It was a co-sell program for AWS partners. Oh, great. Now I can get attacked by all of Snowflake's sales reps through not only them calling me directly and Amazon. Fantastic. (laughs) Uh, The thing I do not... How do I get in on that? No one asked me if I wanted to co-sell with Amazon. No one ever asked me that. You just need to go sign up for this program and then you can co-sell with Amazon. I know. Moving on, AWS Foundation Technical Review Lens is now available in the AWS Well-Architected Tool, of which, by the way, I'm a very big fan. I think they did a great job with that tool. See previous joke about about Lens. I have a comment (laughs) about that tool in a second. But the fact that they have a Foundation Technical Review as part of the Well-Architected, aren't they the same thing? Isn't Well-Architected a Technical Review? Like, why do I need... Well, Foundational Technical Review Lens is a separate lens. It's a narrowed-down view, but... How are they different? I don't don't understand. I bet if you click the link on the article and you read it, it will tell you. Can't be bothered. So about this well-architected tool that you think is amazing. So I'd like to tell you about a service called Honeycode. It's a no-code solution (laughs) that allows you to create a form (laughs) that you can check boxes on. Check, 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 check. Just like the well-architected tool. And at the end, you can make it produce a printout for you. So I have the solution for you to build that tool over and over again. Just talk to me about Honeycode another time. And now you check it, all those you boxes, you can get a track notification. You're it's absolutely right. correct. It is not a magical technological advancement, but the content in the tool is very relevant. And the fact that it's in your account is super convenient. And prior to that, if you had been a well-architected practitioner and you had to do these for customers and you had to use a clunky Excel spreadsheet, and then somehow share that and keep that up to date. This is a wonderful advancement. All these lens- Minus one for Justin. Minus one for Justin. <laughs> calling out. All these lenses remind me I need to get my eyes checked again. Yeah. I think, they think they come up with two versions of the service and they're like, better one, better two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to move on to AWS Marketplace announces APIs for private marketplace. And you would think that the way that they advertise this private marketplace, that it's going to take over the world and change everything. And I've yet to see how. <laughs> I'll tell you how. I'll tell you how. Go on. If you want to sell consulting over the marketplace, there's custom solutions required. So each one's different. And so that's going to be a vehicle to enable the ProServe over marketplace. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's a marketplace offering of like a single custom built service? And you can Private offer now. Private marketplace is just the ability for you to take the what's in the marketplace today and reduce it down to the things that are approved for your company and then publish it through organizations. Yeah, I don't see the connection. I'm going to be able to make an offer to one customer with specific pricing Yeah, for consulting. The promise before multi-cloud is really a thing was that we'd be able to distribute solutions over this as well. And so like same thing, like even within a company, how you get it from account to account yep. was by offering it through private marketplace. Yes, but I'm just... Letting you know how I'm actually using that. Mm, okay. Feature. Cool. Interesting. Yes. Minus one for everyone who questioned me on that one as well. Okay. <laughs> I may yet win. <laughs> this, is, this is going well. This is going well. AWS Security Hub adds open source tool integration with Kubebench and Cloud Custodian. Oh, cool. I mean, I definitely would want to use Kubebench over Cloud Custodian for all purposes <laughs> in this space. <laughs> I'm just afraid to get points deducted now. <laughs> what, 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 what can I say? As long as you don't say anything about Peter, you're yeah. fine. It's all good. I'm just kidding. AWS CloudTrail provides more granular control of data event logging through advanced event selectors. So that way you cannot be missing data from your CloudTrail logs because you turned this on incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, no. 
it's actually a really strange feature reading through it. I don't have anything clever to say, but like, you know, it, it supports like a couple S3 actions. Like, really? They could have done so much more like with customization and granular control. Like I thought it was a lot more than it was, but it's really just allowing to see like the difference between a get and a put in S3. Yeah, but hmm. you, you can have more than one cloud trail. You could have a cloud trail that records everything and you could filter a cloud trail to a team that is, cares about particular types of metrics or something. It, it makes sense. But you only get one for free and cloud trails are very noisy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know that I want to so, have multiples. <laughs> so that was really what I was hoping this was, was a filter, right? Oh, Right. Granular control of data event logging. Like I'm like, oh, that means I don't have to write all those silly read actions. You mean yes, you don't have to dump it into Kinesis Firehose and then yeah. filter it there with SQL yeah. and all the things? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. And then I'll dump it in my S3 bucket and then I'll use the multi account replication to ship it everywhere and I can spend money a lot of ways. Mm. Especially if you're ingesting it into an expensive sim, mm. I'd imagine. <laughs> yeah. Is there a cheap one? No. <laughs> I thought I missed something for a second. <laughs> yeah. yeah, was that redundant? Yeah. AWS announces general availability of Amazon Game Lift feature update. Marking the annual time where I remember that Amazon makes gaming features, which no one uses. Hey, they own Twitch. I'm still stuck on like the boost of stealing. So now they're lifting my game. Like they're stealing all over the. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. I thought Riot Games are big Amazon customers. But do you think they're using any of like Lumberjack or any of that Lumberyard or whatever? The thing? Like, do you think they even use those? Who knows? They built it for somebody. I think they built it for Amazon Gaming Studio. Then they keep <laughs> killing games. <laughs> Amazon S3 bucket keys reduce the cost of server-side encryption with AWS Key Management Service. So now you no longer have to explain to your CFO that you're just encrypting everything. And that's why your bill went up a bajillion dollars. Oops. I love that they're, you know, this is clearly just something like people were complaining about the cost of encrypting these things. And it turns out it's just like a bug where they're double billing you with the S3 and the KMS. So now they're just fixing their bug and announcing it as a feature. Thanks, Amazon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is a feature. And we'll wrap it up by announcing Amazon Elasticsearch services support for AWS Glue Elastic Views. Fun story about this one. So Amazon Glue Elastic Views was mentioned on the main stage by Andy as a new product that was released at reInvent on the main stage. This post was posted on December 1st, 2020, which is the same day as Andy's keynote, which means within hours of announcing this feature, they're already dropping features for it, showing you that Agile is truly a thing. Features for the features. No, this is a product. Elastic, like view, Elastic Views is the thing that moves your data around. And now apparently you can extract all that unprotected Elasticsearch data much faster for the hackers. <laughs> <laughs> or you could very quickly write unprotected Elasticsearch data. Mm, so it goes true. both ways. There's, goes there's a lot ways. of optimization. And that wraps up the lightning round. We're doing something a little different this week. Oh, are we? I mean, he's the man. He makes the rules. He does, yeah. Yep, he's the, the the millennial basher gets the point. <laughs> well, they obviously, go, they yeah. go half the audience <laughs> bringing Jonathan to, to ten. <laughs> Jonathan is a bitter old man. That's all we've learned here. I feel <laughs> like we finally got Ryan in true form today. And if it weren't for the millennial bashing, Ryan, you would have had it. I'm giving Ryan a half a yes. point today. Oh. 
Oh, we're, we're on a half point here at the end of the year. I like okay. this half point yeah. thing. We are. I thought it was more interesting that we started out with Jonathan at eight and Ryan at six. And then we gave Ryan two points and we gave Jonathan one. And then you gave him a 10. I was like, oh, we're right back to where we started. <laughs> Ryan down by two points. But now he's only down by one and a half. So I do feel, I do feel good about it. Yeah. I feel good about it. Coming for you. Coming for you. <laughs> Nicely done. I can't wait to tell everyone that the last week is worth a thousand points. <laughs> <laughs> You have a lot of hope in those lightning round topics for the last week of December. That's a that's a rough <laughs> week, and that's why we do predictions that week <laughs> for 2021. Ooh, a thousand points, and you only get to comment on one story. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> pick it, pick it well. Yeah. All right. Well, that is another fantastic week here in the cloud. Sorry, this is a little bit long episode, but <laughs> that's what happens in reinvent weeks. We get a lot of topics, so enjoy, and we'll see you next week here at the Cloud Pod. Goodbye, everybody. Good night. See ya. And that is The Week in Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel. Go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign-up instructions. Mm-hmm.